this year. I want you to turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3. I'm just going to read a couple verses of Scripture here as we continue our study on uh, the uh, uh, born-again identity, born-again identity. In Philippians chapter 2, this is the uh, uh, letter from the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi. And uh, Paul says here to uh, the church and and to us too, because we're part of the church as well, even though we don't live in Philippi, we're all part of the church. He says, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. Don't let it be done uh, through conflict or trying to exalt yourself. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Verse 4, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. This is a, a powerful passage of Scripture that we can read and we can like nod our heads and say, yeah, yeah, that sounds right. But the reality is this is a whole lot tougher to live than it is to read. It takes the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It takes God working on the inside of us to esteem other people better than ourselves and to uh, hold in regard other people and their needs and their concerns above our own. But when you read the New Testament, you find that this is the message of Jesus Christ, and this is the message of the apostles. Through the power of the baptism of the Holy Ghost, it completely changes the way that we relate with other people. The way that we relate with other people is impacted by being born again. And so uh, uh, we want to speak today on born-again relationships, born-again relationships, how our relationships are to be once we've been born of the water and the Spirit. Now, here, here's the caveat to this lesson today. This is a, 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 a principle or a subject that we could spend weeks studying and not even completely discover all that the Bible has to say about how we that are born again ought to relate with other people. Uh, but uh, since we don't have that kind of time, we're going to scale it down and touch the mountaintops today and be reminded about how our relationships are supposed to be and how we're supposed to be in relationship with other people when we're born again. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the power of your spirit because we recognize that without the working of the spirit, all of this that we're talking about today would be impossible. But through the power of the Holy Ghost, through uh, the power of the Spirit, you've caused us to love, Lord Jesus, like never before. You have caused your love to be shed abroad in our hearts. And I pray today, Lord God, that over the next few moments, you would enable us to speak a word, Lord, and to, uh, uh, to give understanding from the Word of God to help people in their relationships. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, and everybody said, Amen. God bless you, and, and you may be seated. Amen. Now, we have uh, discussed over the last several weeks in these, this series of lessons about how when we were born again, there is an identity with our first nature that we were born with as a baby that we have to reject in favor of the identity of our second birth or our new birth experience. And... Uh, in living for God as a New Testament Christian, it's not a matter of finding a list of rules and, and obeying or following rules, but it's a matter of 
rejecting our first birth nature and embracing the identity of our second birth nature. Some of you remember that we talked about uh, the uh, witness relocation program where when someone uh, uh, is in danger of retribution from a gang or uh, a criminal, they relocate them and give them a brand new identity. And this is what happens when we are born again of the water and the spirit. We no longer have to live in sin. We no longer have to be slaves or servants to the sinful nature that was the part of our flesh. But as we uh, preached on Sunday, even when you're born again, that first nature, our firstborn nature, the nature that we had when we were born as a baby, will crop up again even after we've been born again, and we have to be willing to fight back. Amen? And so some of the things that change, as we've talked about, is we have a new mind. We have a born-again mind versus our first birth mind. We have a new tongue or a new way of talking. We have new priorities and new disciplines. Uh, but all of that is, uh, uh, is very powerful, the change that comes. But probably the greatest challenge of all that comes when we're born again, embracing our born-again identity, is in the area of relationships. Relationships. What is relationships? That is the, uh, uh, when one person has interaction with another person. And uh, the interaction can be very positive, can be sweet. Uh, sometimes interaction between people can create conflict. And um, the problem with relationships is that in our first nature, our firstborn nature, we have a tendency to be very selfish and self-centered. We look after ourselves. And uh, if you don't believe that, try to raise some kids. And you'll discover right off that they were born with very self-serving nature. And so when you get two people together who have not been born again, who are operating in first birth relationships, then inevitably there's going to be tremendous conflict. And uh, we saw this today. My wife and I saw this today because we had uh, uh, two five-year-olds that were in the house with us today, Eden and Aurora. Aurora was there last night and then all day today. And uh, my wife said at a certain point, even though they're uh, besties and good friends and whatever, there was a moment of conflict wherein it boiled over into violence even against one another. And and, and here's the problem. I've seen... The same thing happened with born-again people. And that's because we have to be reminded over and over again that we have to embrace our new birth mentality and have born-again relationships. Now, conflict is natural to our first birth. When you look, it's a part of our sin nature. What was the first sin in the Bible? Well, the first sin, of course, is when Eve disobeyed and partook of the fruit, but the first sin beyond uh, in, the, in the dispensation uh, of human conscience and human understanding, the first sin was Cain and Abel, who were brothers, who had a difference. There was conflict that broiled between them, 
And the Bible lets us know that Cain rose and slew his brother. He murdered his brother. The first murder in the Bible, one of the first sins in the Bible, was a product of issues in a relationship. And this is the way that uh, uh, sin works. We see there with uh, Adam and Eve, the nature of sin is sin promises if you do what you feel prompted to do, it'll bring happiness, fulfillment, satisfaction. But actually, sin always leaves us with a life of regret. And brokenness in relationships, whether it's the relationship between a husband and a wife, a father and a son, uh, co-workers, brokenness in relationship can always boil down to this. It's a product of sin. The brokenness in human relationships is a product of sin. And the Bible teaches in the New Testament that when conflict, relational uh, issues show up in a church, it is a sign of carnality, flesh, first nature, not born again nature. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 1, the Apostle Paul said, I, I would like to speak to you as unto spiritual people, but I have to speak to you as carnal or babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with meat because up to this point you were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are ye able to bear meat. Verse 3, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions. These are all relationship issues. These are all uh, how people interact and deal with one another issues. He said, when these things are evident among you, are ye not all carnal and walk as men? What is he saying? The Apostle Paul is saying, when I see among you within the church, when I see envying, when I see strife, when I see division, it lets me know that you are uh, associating or identifying with your first birth. You're walking as a man. This is what it means. You're uh, identifying with your flesh birth because the first birth mentality in relationships brings envying, strife, conflict, divisions. This is a product of the flesh. So born-again relationships are relationships that no longer have things like envying, and strife and divisions. You guys with me? Does that make sense? Born again relationships don't have these characteristics. Now, I'm 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 going to make this point over and over again. This is one of the most difficult challenges in being a believer and being a Christian and really being like Jesus. Certain uh, uh, certain tendencies of the flesh, we can kind of uh, pretty wholeheartedly reject them. And, uh, you know, people come in the church and they decide, you know, I'm not, going to, um, I'm not going to partake of things that are harmful to this temple. I'm not going to defile my temple anymore. So these are the things that are works of the flesh that I'm walking away from. And uh, I'm going to watch my mouth from, from now on. And I'm going to uh, um, uh, then uh, uh, watch how I, I prioritize my life and all of these things. But this is the challenge because this one creeps up on you. And you find that. The works of the flesh in terms of our human relationships manifest themselves and it takes the most vigilance 
and the most fight against the flesh, not against other people, but against our own flesh, to be able to have second birth or born again relationships. The problem is we are easily deceived in this area. You guys with me? Everybody's sleepy tonight, right? We need to uh, pass out Starbucks or something, maybe. We're easily deceived in this area. We are skilled at justifying ourselves in this area. When it comes to conflict with someone else, when it comes to ill feelings against other people, we're very skillful at justifying why I feel this way, why I'm speaking against this person, why I have and am harboring these feelings against this individual. We're skilled at justifying ourselves, and we're easily deceived. You see, it's kind of on one hand we're fumbling around. On the other hand, we're really skilled. We're fumbling around and really recognizing when the works of the flesh are happening in us in terms of human relationships. But we're skilled at justifying why we feel the way we feel and why we have the issue with the person that we have the issue with. You know what we're really skilled at? We are awesome at figuring out why we're right and they're wrong. Aren't we good at that? Can we be honest with each other? We're really good. We're very good as as human beings. Justifying our position and vilifying their position, therefore justifying our ill feelings and relational stress that happens. And so this is an area that is perhaps where True Christianity manifests itself the most powerfully in terms of our relationships. Now, let's go back a little bit to the Old Testament. In the Bible, God gave humanity, because of their sin nature, because of their tendency to disobey, God gave them the law. And the basis of the law is what? The Ten Commandments. The Decalogue, or the Ten Commandments that God gave them. And the commandments are... Anybody remember the commandments? What's number one? Love the Lord with all your heart. Have no other gods before me, right? God should be first. What's number two? No no idols, no graven images. Number three, what's number three? Keep the Lord's name holy. Don't use it in a, in a profane manner. Number four, what's, what's commandment number four? Keep the Sabbath day. And uh, this is not just about a ritual. It's about keeping this day holy and dedicated to God once a week, committing a time to to, to be with God. And then uh, uh, we're going to test you here. What's number five? What's commandment number five? Honor mama and daddy. Amen. And don't uh, speak evil against your parents, but honor them. And this is the only one of the Ten Commandments that has a a promise attached to it, that your days will be long on the earth. And then uh, number six, what's commandment number six? Thou shalt not kill, right? Number six, don't get your kicks from killing one another, all right? That's commandment number six, don't kill. Number seven, life is heaven when you're true to your mate. Do not commit adultery, all right? Number eight, thou shalt not steal. Number nine, Don't go around telling lies. Number 10, don't covet your neighbor's materials and stuff. Here's the thing I want you to notice is that 
they came to Jesus and they and they the doctors of law were trying to um, trick him into saying something wrong, and uh, so they asked him, "Which is the most important commandment in the law?" And Jesus' response is in uh, Matthew chapter twenty-two and verse thirty-five. Uh, his response is in verse thirty-seven. The Lord said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. That's commandment number one. He says, this is the first and the great commandment. Verse 39, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Jesus was saying, in essence, uh, if you can understand these two and really put them in practice, then you will fulfill all the law and the prophets. And the number one is that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That means he has to be first place in your life. You love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And number two is love your neighbor as yourself. I don't know, some of you have heard this before, maybe some of you have not. Did you know that all of the Ten Commandments fall under these two categories? Did you know that? The first four commandments are about loving God and putting Him first. Love God. Amen. Don't have idols. Use the Lord's name. Don't use the Lord's name in vain. Hallow His name. And then honor the Sabbath day, which is the day you set apart to give honor to God. All of these are about fulfilling the first one. These are ways in which we put God first. And then here's the deal. The next six commandments are about us in our relationships with other human beings. Think about it. Honoring our father and our mother. Um, and then uh, uh, number, uh, number six, thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Don't covet. Don't bear false witness. This is all about how we treat other people. You guys with me right now? It's all about how we treat other people. And so Jesus is saying that if you put God first and love your neighbor as yourself, and this is, this is about not being selfish, not putting our own needs and our own thoughts and our own ideas on top of everyone else's. If you can learn to do this, then Jesus said you will fulfill all of the law and the prophets. So the law was given to govern our sin nature because our sinful nature has a tendency, and the tendency is to hurt people, to cheat people, to rob from people, to lie against people. That's our first nature, to put ourselves on top by whatever means necessary. It's ugly. That's the flesh. Everybody say flesh. That is our first nature. And our first birth mentality is very selfish and self-serving. So as I said before, first birth relationships tend to be stressed and fractured because of mutual selfishness. Mutual selfishness. And this is typically the problem whenever there's problems in a marriage. It's selfishness. Mutual selfishness. Which one's right? They are both think they're right. So which one's going to contend for their opinion? They're both going to contend for their opinion. 
And it's amazing because this is the very uh, tendency of a first birth relationship. It's going to be fraught with conflict. But when a person is born again, something is supposed to change. You guys with me? And what changes is I'm not right all the time anymore. And we're not going to do it my way all the time anymore. And it's not about my needs all the time anymore. And it's not about focused on me. Because your first birth mentality focuses on you. And when I read the New Testament, the born-again mentality is about turning that focus out to other people. That's what he said. That's what the apostles said. Mind other people's things and not just your own. Get your mind off of your own needs and, and your own concerns and your own thoughts and your own ideas and consider the positions of other people. Can I get an amen? And so, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus upped the ante on these new birth relationships. Some of you wish I'd just talk about the Holy Ghost and we could shout and so forth, but this is where we're living, all right? And this is what we need to remember and be reminded of and recognize. If I'm envious of somebody else, that's a work of the flesh. If I feel anger towards someone, resentment, bitterness, I could feel justified because of what they did, but those emotions and those feelings are works of the flesh. Jesus upped the ante in the Sermon on the Mount. As we mentioned last week, this was the ethics of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, in, uh, in Matthew, I believe it's chapter 5, verse 21, it says, Ye have heard that it was said of them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. Verse 22, But I say unto you, Jesus said in the Old Testament, you're not supposed to kill. But in the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, thy fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Well, the Bible's saying here, in the Old Testament, it was the physical act of anger. I'm sorry, of murder that was prohibited. But he's saying here, the attitude of anger always ends up in murder. You may say, well, I never murdered anybody. You murdered them with your tongue. You've tried to destroy their reputation because that's the end result of anger. The end result of anger, you know, you know what, if, if, when you get mad, when you get angry, it's like you, something wants to lash out, right? You want to... Uh, do something. And so it may not be something physical where you strike somebody or, or uh, uh, get a gun or, or, or any of these types of things, but it is something inside of us that wants to get at somebody, even if it's with our words, what we say, how we treat them in the future. And you know what we do? We justify it and we sanctify our anger. Uh-huh. And we think that it's okay, but it's still a work of the flesh. Praise God. And I'm praying that the Holy Ghost would come upon us uh, like old-time religion. Remember the old song that makes me want to love everybody? Makes me want to love everybody. Praise God. Amen. And then he says, if you have issues with your brother, don't come into the church and, and bring your gift to the altar and and, uh, and feel like that everything's cool with God because you and God got this thing going and, 
this brother or this sister that you got an issue with, they, they got problems. They just got issues. The Bible says, no, go get your gift, take it back to your seat, reconcile with your brother or sister, get that thing right first, then bring your gift. Amen. As, as John said, if you say that you love God, but you hate your brother, you're a liar. How can you love God that you haven't seen? See, this is, to me, this is the whole message of the New Testament. The whole message of the New Testament is if you love God, show it by how you treat people. Mm. If you really love God, prove it in your relationships, in your interpersonal relationships. And then he, uh, uh, he, he says also um, that uh, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say unto you that uh, when you look lustfully on a woman, you've committed adultery in, in your heart. So it's upping the ante from just the act to the attitude that produced the act. Because in living for God, you can't just avoid gross sin. You've got to avoid the attitude that leads to gross sin. You believe that? Amen. And then he uh, talks about uh, in Matthew chapter 5, right after that verse, says, turn the other cheek. Somebody strikes you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. Oh, my goodness. Somebody says, I want your coat, give them your cloak also. If a Roman soldier says, hey, I want you to carry my stuff for a mile, and the law says you got to carry it a mile, carry it a mile and then go the second mile. You know what? This is about, th- th- this is about the ethics of the kingdom of God. What if all of us started to maintain new birth relationships? I feel like the church, we couldn't handle the growth of the kingdom of God. We couldn't handle the growth of the church. But the problem is the works of the flesh are so manifest in our life, and we allow them. Give place to them. Amen. Matthew 5, 43, as he continues to go along in the Beatitudes, he said, you've heard it said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Can everybody, can we say one big massive collective ouch right now? Seriously. Seriously. That goes absolutely against the grain of our human nature, of our first birth nature. This is a born-again mentality, and this takes the Holy Ghost. This takes the Holy Ghost and fire. Amen. To be able to have somebody that's your enemy, somebody that's using you despitefully, somebody that is persecuting you, and instead of praying... Now, the Bible doesn't say you pray for them to get what they deserve. The Bible says you pray for them. Anybody really want to be like Jesus? You guys with me, anybody really want to be like Jesus? If you really want to be like Jesus, you need to listen to what we're teaching here today. Because really being like Jesus, where the rubber meets the pavement on this, is in our relationships with other people. Our relationships. And so the Spirit of the Lord laid it in on my heart that this week we need to consider this. It takes God's spirit to change us in this manner. Now, to further reinforce this point, if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter number 12 because this is one of the most frequently used passages during this series as we've been talking about the born-again mentality. Uh, Beginning in uh, uh, 
Beginning in verse, verse 1 and 2. Can you read that for me, Brother Michael? So we hear this verse used a lot where the Bible says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you, that you can prove the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And when we hear this taught, then everybody kind of puts their opinions, of course they back them up with scripture, of what it means to be conformed to this world versus being transformed. And uh, a lot of different factors could come in there. But if you want to know what he's really talking about there, you need to keep reading. Because the real thing that needs to be transformed as you read chapter 12, the rest of chapter 12, and then you read chapter 13, and then you read chapter 14, what is it that's being transformed? What is it that's different than the way this world is? It is all about relationships. It's all about how we treat other people. Look at here. In... Uh, um, let me see here. In verse, verse number three, what does it say in verse three? Read verse three. So here's the real transformation. The real transformation is when we consider our value and the value of other people in the context, as it keeps going, of the body of Christ. Where we are members, all members of the body, and every member is important. And we don't look down on other members, but we understand that uh, um, I may feel like I'm pretty important because I'm the hand. But if it weren't for the heart, and if it weren't for the other parts of the body, then I would be struggling because we desperately need one another and even some of the parts that aren't uh, visible and obvious are some of the most important parts of the body and so he starts out right here by saying this is a different way of thinking the new way of thinking for you is don't think of yourself more highly than other people amen praise God and then verse 9 uh, of the same chapter, he says, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love, in honor, preferring one another. In honor, preferring one another. So you guys want to hear the real sermon here? This is the real transformation. This is not being conformed to this world because in the world, they're, they're not kindly affection one toward another, and they don't prefer one another. What do they do? They do what the flesh wants to do, which is to get on, to, to, to come out on top and to uh, be the, the dominant one. But the Bible says that when you're in the kingdom of heaven, you don't be conformed to the way this world thinks, but be transformed. This is real transformation, brothers and sisters. This is real transformation in honor, preferring one another. Another translation says of that last phrase, it says, outdo one another in honoring one another. Try to outdo one another in, in uh, expressing esteem and value to one another. What would the church be like 
What would the church be like if everybody got a good old-fashioned dose of the Holy Ghost and started preferring their brothers and honoring their brothers and sisters above themselves? What would the kingdom of God be like? How, How delicious would the kingdom of God be to outsiders? Do you know that the Bible says that this is how they shall know that you're my disciples? Mm, man, I'm feeling it right now. The one thing that they ought to recognize is the love that you have for one another. And when they see how you honor one another and love one another and treat one another, they're going to say, those people right there are followers of Jesus Christ. And there's going to be, see, the Bible says that we're salt and light. What does salt do? Salt makes people thirsty. And when they see the way that we love one another, they're thirsty. They want to be a part of it. They want to join in on this thing. When they see us prideful, looking down on one another and conflict and stress within the body and between one another, they're like, hey, this is just like the world. There's nothing here. Amen. So being different than the world is not just some of the things we teach about in other sessions, but it's also about how we love each other and how that we treat each other and how we uh, uh, put value on our relationships. Amen. Praise God. It's a new kind of living in uh, verse 14. This is a new kind of living. What is it saying in essence? This is a born-again approach to the world. And then chapter 13, it goes on as you study chapter 13. I'm just wanting to make this point because you guys are zoning out on me. This is the point I'm trying to make. Should I bring puppets next time? The point that I'm trying to make to you is when you look at Romans 12, 1 and 2, and it says, be not conformed, be transformed, it's talking about how we relate with other people. Our relationships got to be different when we're born again. And in chapter 13, it talks about how we relate to authorities. How we relate to those in authorities, we honor those that are in positions of authority whether it's secular or in the household or in the kingdom of God, there's going to be harmony in the church when we honor those in authority and when we honor each other and those that are uh, um, on the same level of us and when we honor those that are below us. What do you mean below us? That would be children, right? And those that are under our authority, when we show honor and deference and preference to everybody, I'm I'm feeling this right now because I believe this is a key to revival that many people have missed out on. It's about how we treat one another and how we relate to one another and how we resist and reject the tendencies of the flesh in our relationships. Praise God. Amen. And then you go into chapter 14. It continues. Chapter 14 of Romans is about how to be careful not to offend the weaker brother. Don't just do whatever feels good to you, but consider how your actions affect other people. That's what it's all about. This is a new way of thinking. Because the old way of thinking is I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm going to do what uh, appeals to me and pleases me. But the new way of thinking, it's a new mentality and a new birth relationships. So, uh, hopefully I've sufficiently made my point. 
with regard to the fact that born again, truly born again person is going to have different relationships. So the question now is, how do we do it? How do we avoid conflict? And how do we have born again relationships? I believe the key is in our text in in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3. It says, in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. And look not on every man his own things, but every man also on the things of others. I think it's critical for all of us to accept this about our, our first nature. I'm going to look out for me first. And that's my first nature and that's my flesh. we got to accept that about ourselves. Because we think about ourselves, we think, oh, you know, I'm a considerate person. I, I, I care about the needs of others. And, 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 uh, but the reality is we are often deceived into believing that. And, and I'm not saying we don't care about anybody. But I'm saying at, at, at our very core, we're selfish people. We're self-centered people. And we've got to start out by recognizing that about ourselves. We can recognize in other people, can't we? She's selfish. He's looking out for himself. She won't budge. But what about looking at it in ourselves and saying, guess what? This is my flesh. This is my first nature. And this is what I have got to fight against. I got to recognize this. And I've got to accept that I cannot be right all the time. I'm not right all the time. See, you could be right and be wrong. You could be right and and get your flesh all up in it. Amen? It's about understanding that I'm going to, in lowliness of mind, esteem others better than myself. Oh, God, help us. Let's just pray right now. Because God needs to speak to us on this. Lord Jesus, I pray, dear God, for everybody in this house. Let the word, Lord Jesus, get in our hearts and let the word shake us up, Lord God. Let the word transform us, Jesus, today. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Amen. And, and uh, another thing that we, we tend to do in our relationships is we keep score, right? We keep score about what they did, how we helped them, how they didn't help us. But the problem is, is it's not a fair scorekeeper, right? You don't, if you got some kind of a boxing match going on, like like in a boxing match where they score, I wasn't thinking, Brother Ben, I should have had you do the shadow boxing for me. He knows what to do. Amen. Uh, they, they score the box on the number of punches thrown, number of punches landed and so forth. And uh, they have judges there that are scoring the fight. Now, I'm sorry, but if I'm fighting somebody and there's judges scoring the fight, I don't want the other fighters, mom and dad and wife and brother and sister over there scoring the fight, right? You guys with me? Because what are they going to do? They're not going to look at the fight fairly. They're going to be biased as they observe the fight, right? And the problem is, is when we keep score, we're biased. 
and we don't keep clean scores. We slant it our direction. Amen. And so somewhere along the way, we've got to recognize that about ourselves and say, this is how my flesh operates, and I can't allow my flesh to determine the nature and the quality of my relationships. And the Bible says that, um, uh, that, that we should be slow to anger and let God recompense. What does that mean? That means let God set the record straight. Let God even it out. Don't you try to set the record straight. Don't let your wrath go and your anger go. Let God take care of it. Amen. And I promise you one thing, that God keeps perfect score. You guys with me right now? God keeps perfect score. And you release it and let God take care of it. And I want to tell you that, that we've got to learn to release negative emotions and be quick to forgive. This is the key right here because emotions are a part of this vessel, the flesh that we have. Emotions, the feelings, the sense of being slighted, the sense of being mistreated, the uh, anger that wells up because of what somebody did or what somebody said. We have to learn to release it quickly. Ephesians 4.31, we're drawn to a close here. Ephesians 4.31, what does the Bible tell us to do? Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. All of this ugly stuff, all of these ugly feelings, all of the product of friction in relationships, all of these things, he said, let them be put away from you with all malice. Let it be put away from you. We'll come back to that verse, but jump to verse 32. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Be kind one toward another. Be tenderhearted. Forgive one another, even as God hath forgiven you. Any of you ever think you offended God's holiness before? And he forgave you. And he forgave you. And just in the same way that he forgave you, the Bible says you forgive those and get rid of all wrath, get rid of all ending. Go back to verse 31 there. Get rid of all of these negative things, bitterness, wrath, anger, and clamor. Put it away from you. Put it away from you. Put it away. Put it away. Put it away. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, put it away. Put it away. That doesn't mean let it drift away with time. You guys with me? That doesn't mean hope that it dissipates. Hope that it dissipates after a few months or a few years. It means put it away. I remember I, I've shared this here at, at, at Life Church before some time ago. And uh, there was somebody that said that this was a, revel a revelation to me because I had uh, just tried to ignore negative emotions rather than putting them away. And so 
the illustration I used is, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is about my house, but if I was starting a church of spiders, I would be super successful right now. Because our front porch, we came back from being gone for a few days, and I come back, and it looks like our front porch is decorated for Halloween already. You know what I'm saying? I'm walking through spider webs and crawling. And uh, I, I don't know about you, but whenever I walk through a spider web in the dark, you know, you know, are you guys like this? That's what I'm like, right? Some of you may be like super cool. It's like all over your face, and you're just like, I'll take care of that later. Take care of that when we find a mirror. Uh, I'm taking a shower later tonight. We'll take care of it then. And the problem is, is with these negative emotions that are a product of friction in our relationships, the Bible says we are to put them off like that person that's getting that spider web off of them. It's like gross. I can't handle, I can't stand having this on me for a second, for a minute. I've got to put it off of me. And when you start seeing it creep up in your spirit, somewhere along the way, somebody's going to have to get a hold of this and realize that if I'm going to have a healthy marriage, if I'm going to have healthy relationships with my kids, if I'm going to have healthy relationships in in the church body, I cannot allow these emotions uh, to foam in in my spirit. I got to put them away. I got to put them away. I got to get them off of me. I've got to resist them, reject them, and throw them away. Amen. Amen. So we got to be slow to anger and quick to put off all these negative feelings that are a product of friction in our relationships. And uh, the Bible teaches us, the Bible says, and this is one of the uh, scariest parts of the Bible to me, it teaches literally that if we hold on to things and don't forgive, then we forfeit the forgiveness that Jesus Christ has offered to us. Wow. We forfeit the forgiveness that guarantees us eternal life. If we don't forgive other people, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times, Jesus said unto him, 70 times seven. In Luke 17, three, take heed to yourself. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him, and if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, seven times in a day, turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. And the apostle said, Lord, increase our faith. I'm not sure we can handle this. Then he told the story, the story in Scripture, of the man who had a debt that was impossible to pay. Massive debt, numbering in they multiplied millions of dollars in today's money. And uh, back in that day, because of this debt, he could be thrown in prison. And his children sold him to slavery in order to collect on this debt. It's a debt he couldn't pay. It was impossible. And the man that held the debt over him came to him and said, I'm going to forgive you of this debt. 
I'm going to release you from the responsibility of this debt. You're going to be free from this debt. You don't owe me anymore. That's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is telling people, it, it is in your heart saying, they don't owe me anything. They don't owe me anymore. And so the story goes that the man who was forgiven a debt he couldn't pay found a man who owed him a much smaller debt, much smaller, matter of a few hundred dollars. And said, hey, man, you owe me such and such amount of money. The guy said, man, I can't pay. I'm so sorry. I cannot pay. And what the man that was forgiven took his fellow by the throat and said, I'm putting you in prison until you pay this debt. And, and, the, and the parable goes, Jesus said, what do you think that the man that forgave him so much is going to do when he finds out that he refused to forgive this small infraction, this small amount? And the Bible says, Jesus said that, 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 uh, that he will deliver him to the tormentors. It says specifically, he was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. And then verse 35, So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Can I tell you, this is probably one of the most serious subjects in being a follower of Jesus, is relationships, is not holding resentment is not holding ill feelings towards somebody because of what they said or what they did or how they treated you. Because if you think about it, if you put it on the scale to what God has forgiven you from, it's so insignificant. It's nothing. It's pennies. But psychologically, philosophically, we got somebody by the throat up against the wall until you make this right. I will not release you. God says, okay. That's okay. So the key is born again relationships are relationships that are free from bitterness, anger, resentment, hatred, unkind words, uh, and, and, and the like being spoken to one another. Praise God. Hallelujah. But guess what? Our flesh is going to act up from time to time. Right? Say, yes, pastor, it's going to do it. It's, it's going to act up from time to time. And that's when we have to be humble and go back and apologize. And when we humbly from our heart apologize, we've done what we can. We've done our best. We've shown love. And, uh, and then it's the other person's responsibility. But I'm praying, this is the prayer in my life because I know... This is an area that I have a long ways to go. This is an area of, of my relationships, always me, me being like Jesus Christ in all of my relationships. It's a long way for me to go. But guess what? That doesn't mean I shouldn't be striving, and I shouldn't be pushing, and I shouldn't be praying, and I shouldn't be uh, at the same time getting frustrated and angry when those parts of me start to crop up. And, and target them and say, you're not going to control my destiny, my future, 
my purpose and my anointing because I want to be like Jesus. Does anybody want to be like Jesus? Praise God. Why don't we stand together right now? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. I want us to pray for a minute right now. And um, hallelujah. I want us to ask the Lord to continue the work that he started in us. Because he gave us the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's holy. It's holy. The Holy Spirit is free from bitterness, wrath, and anger, and all of these things. And God gave us the Holy Spirit, not just so we could speak in tongues, but he gave us the Holy Spirit so the Holy Spirit would make us holy as well. And I'm going to pray right now that the Holy Spirit begin to work in us through the power of the Word and through what we have received tonight. Holy Spirit, I pray right now. Hallelujah for each and every person that's here, and myself included, Lord God. I thank you for the Holy Spirit. I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that it transformed and changed me a long time ago. But I'm really thankful that it's still transforming and changing me today. Holy Spirit, I pray right now in this place, uh, let the gift of your Spirit, Lord God, operate and work within the body of Christ. Uh, and the members of the body of Christ. Uh, my prayer, Lord Jesus, today is that I wouldn't be like everybody else in this world, that I wouldn't uh, treat uh, things that happen to me like other people in the world, but God, don't let me be conformed to this world, but let me be transformed so that I'm like you, Lord Jesus, uh, in my relationships, and I'm like you and how I treat people and how I respond and react to things. Uh, hallelujah, I pray, Lord God, let your Holy Spirit move in me and increase my faith, Lord God, and let me be more like you, Lord Jesus, as you work on me to perfect me. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Hallelujah. Lord, increase our faith. Lord, increase our faith. Jesus, increase our faith. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And if you agree, and, and, and we're going to say amen, but what amen means is so be it. I want you to say amen, so be it. Hallelujah. Praise God. God bless you. Amen. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord. If you're a part of the life groups meeting, that happens 830 in the conference room. God bless you. Please share the love of Jesus with one another.